Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture Hangfire with Christian Gable. A podcast where I try to catch up my friend Gabe on everything I think he missed and he should know about those formative years when he was homeschooled and sheltered from all of pop culture, if not most of pop culture. The year 1999, the euro became the official currency for 12 European nations. Shakespeare in Love won an Oscar for Best Picture, and My Heart Will Go On won a Grammy for Record of the Year. Basketball legend Michael Jordan announced that he was retiring from the NBA. A pound of ground sirloin beef was $1.79 in the United States. I think that we need to discuss Y2K because we've previewed it in the past. Last week, we dedicated a little bit of time to The Phantom Menace, which did not allow us to go into Y2K. But I think it's time we finally addressed uh, Y2K. Now, I, be- right. I believe that you and I had a different experience with Y2K. Probably a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Now, I was, uh, again, like 19 in the job market, well, in the Marines. And that, yeah, I was done with SOI. I'm also Latino. And we weren't really you know, paying a lot of attention to, to like technology and banking and, and whatever that 0099 was going to turn into. So we honestly were like, well, let's just see what happens and kind of go from there. That that was our thing. Like, we're like, we're, you know, we'll make do we, we you know, we're a community. Like, we're fine, I think, probably. I, I think my older brother, um, he was, I think he I think he brought up more of a uh, of a concern. But ultimately, none of us actually did any prepping, as I recall. Like we, I mean, I don't, I don't even remember like what I was doing when that year turned into the next year. So I, I got nothing. But I feel like, um, feel like, based on the personalities of your parents, maybe there's a little more prep on your side. So we're at the point. We're still. I'm still living at my grandparents, and I'm a. I'm 11. So like, I'm personally not concerned. Um, just because I have no uh, cares in the world or responsibilities. All your toys um, are analog, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the for the most part, I mean, there's some computer stuff, I'm sure, at that point. But like, you know, it's fine. I'm, uh, I'm I don't think I'm doing anything online yet in terms of gaming. So what do I care if you know if the internet goes down? But uh, but there was some background things that I could pick up on. My my mom. Uh, it's always been a bit of a worrier and uh there's there's things you can worry about i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a worry myself i like to think i'm a bit more practical in my in my adulthood with some of the things i worry about but she certainly was concerned about you know what if things aren't functioning the way they should like you know what are the things you need so we and i don't even remember how we got these i remember it was a hassle and then you had to fill them up and empty them all the time but there was these we had these like drums these water drums that were like 55 gallon plastic drums. You they had got stored six of them in the breezeway. I don't even remember something like that. There was like four or six of them just like chilling in the in the breezeway. There's like an L shape for my grandparents' old house, and so you had the main house was this long straight shot here, and then in an L to it was a little casita, and there's a little covered breezeway in between, and that's where these 
55 gallon plastic drums probably full of bpas because this was 1999 so plastic like who cared about what your plastic was leaching into the water there's something you could worry about in retrospect but um no we never ended up using any of the water this is the moral of the story is that you had to like every like i don't know few months or something like that or whatever you had to empty them because you didn't you know it was it was like water from the hose out back it was not like you got purified water you know? so you weren't dropping so, any little pills in there or anything huh no so it was just like you gotta empty it and refill them empty it out clean them out refill them and like that was you know as a kid it was kind of fun to dump out a 55 gallon drum of water on the lawn so there was something for that you got kind of swampy for a little bit it's california so dried up pretty fast but yeah there was that i think that as an 11 year old maybe i wasn't privy to anything else but that's the only preparing that i that i was cognizant of you know that i had any responsibility in or any work i had to do so that's the only reason it affected my life yeah i I remember i know there was concern yeah okay because and and then community concern right i remember like the news talking about people like cashing out their bank accounts to have cold hard cash and like um and people like you know getting things off of their computers because of of that type of thing and i remember like they were saying you know like they were saying like computers cash machines um you know like all these things were going to happen because like the computers were going to reset because they didn't have enough they didn't know to change the time or whatnot um yeah and, the, and that apparently it was going to affect everything, right? That it was going to affect... Because anything that well, was connected. Anything that was connected to some sort of clock. Well, the theory was that anything that had a date, because back when memory was more scarce, they only used two digits. And so 99 was going to go to 00. Which, why that was going to be a problem, I'm still a little bit fuzzy on. Because who cares? Like, I guess maybe they th- were afraid the computers would it would be like resetting it to the back in time, the beginning, as opposed to continuing forward, you know, even though it's just a numerical loop. So because they were saving space, they were saving those bytes back in the day. They never put the four digit, they put a two digit. And so nobody, I think a lot of people just didn't know. It was like a lot of fear of the unknown. So a lot of people in tech and programming made like tons of money coding to fix a problem that never manifested. Now, was some of the stuff uh, averted because of all that programming? I mean, yeah, probably. Um, there was a few minor hiccups in a few systems, but, you know, society as we know it didn't collapse. All the nukes didn't launch, you know, planes didn't Oh, yeah, that was sky. the other thing, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, anything, anything. Yeah, I was like, again, I, I, I was of age, dude, and I was still not concerned. Look, I had maybe, maybe $500 in the bank. Like, right. what, what was going to happen? What's the worst that could happen? I was on base. I'm like, what's, like, we're still going to be on drill. We're still going to be, uh, you know, like, doing... Yeah, you're going to have to, you're gonna, there's going to be formation in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> none of that's going to change. Like, I could just, like, like let's, let's imagine society collapses. The Marine Corps, absolutely someone was going to figure out how to tell time and make you get up at, at, at zero four. So yeah. you could be in formation at zero five. Yeah. And I, last time I checked, my mortar system has no electronics in it. Um, there's no the, dates in there. The M16, the the machine gun, none of that mattered. Humvees, I mean, technology of a Humvee is 1980. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's one of the advantages there. Being a little behind the curve, you don't got those problems. Yeah, my but, my yeah. iron was still gonna be able to starch my damn camis. <laughs> yeah, the uh, yeah, people were concerned about like banks running out of money which those are like self-fulfilling prophecies because if everybody goes to the bank and says give us our money yeah they don't have the money exactly so there was problems that were self-inflicted with the problems that actually seem to happen of of too many people showing up to a bank or whatever or or people like you know just like 
um, liquidating all their assets, you know, like, yeah, yeah, which then hurts the market. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. I mean, well, if anything, it was a more intense version of what you see with what we're going into now with like, there's a dip, we're going into a, you know, financial recession. And so people freak out and do things that are otherwise going to cause more disruption. Whereas if you just sat, wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Let's talk about better things now. Let's talk about some of these fantastic movies that came out in uh, 1999. The first one With we have complete disregard for the world ending. Yeah, no, no, because the movies were being made, I mean, and obviously all these movies were probably made a year or two before. Let's be honest. True. Yeah. The first movie, Gabe. I don't know if you've seen, but I am going to show you one of my favorite scenes from this movie. I love this movie so so much. What you do in Inatech is you take the specifications from the customers and you bring them down to the software engineers. Yes, y yes, that's that's right. Well, then I just have to ask, why couldn't the customers just take them directly to the, to the software people, huh? Well, uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, because engineers are not good at dealing with customers. Uh -huh. So you physically take the specs from the customer well, no, my, my secretary does that, or the facts. Huh. So then you must physically bring them to the software people. Well, no. Yeah, I mean, sometimes. Uh, what, what would you say you do here? Well, look, I already told you. I deal with the goddamn customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand it? What the hell is wrong with you people? Hey. Oh, I fucking love that movie. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that movie is Office Space, written and directed by Mike Judge, uh, the same gentleman who brought us Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. Speaking of which, did you hear that Beavis and Butthead coming back in, uh, in uh, Beavis and Butthead to the Universe? I think I did see that, yeah. I, I thought, what an interesting comeback. I mean, again, interesting. Anyway, um, so the movie Office Space stars Run Livingston, Jennifer Aniston, Gary Cole, Stephen Root, David Herman, Ayat Naoudi, and Diedrich Bader. Technically a flop, <laughs> making oh, yeah. uh, making $12 million on a $10 million budget. However, um, because of how much it aired on Comedy Central... It sold well on home video and then, you know, ended up becoming a, a cult uh, classic. Yeah. Uh, you've seen it, I imagine, or no? Yes, yes. Okay. I've this seen is... it a number of times. Oh, it is a fantastic movie. It yeah. is it's so... what really it's really what prepared me for office work, you know, <laughs> later in my life. I didn't ever think I'd be in that position, but I contribute all of my success in the in the corporate world to it's to office space. It's why I own the red stapler. Could have had any color. But I own yep. the red one on purpose. Gotta have just, red. Just for that. Yeah. It's a, so when it's, the time comes, they know why you did it. it. It was such a fun, fun movie to to watch and, and to rewatch. And it holds up. It really does. Because it's it it deals with something that I think transcends time. You know, <laughs> like white collar, like uh, repetitious. What's the word? Like just the rat race. Just like. Yeah. It's just that. You know the the drone, the mindless, the being a drone in an office. Yeah, like having that kind of job. 
it ages well because it hasn't changed. It has not changed exactly. I I look at this and I'm like, yeah, no, that's exactly what still happens. Um, Office Space came out in 1999. Next up, we have the big one. Well, no, one of two big ones for me anyway. Uh, the Green Mile, written and directed by Frank Dermont, the same man who uh, wrote and directed The Shawshank Redemption, which Gabe still hasn't seen. Ba- also right. based on a Stephen King uh, novel uh, by the same name. This one stars Tom Hanks and Michael Clark Duncan. Um, Bonnie Hunt is in this. James Cromwell, Dutch Hitchin- Doug Hitchinson. Fantastic film. Um, $60 million budget, grossed over $286 million. Nominated for four Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for uh, Michael Clark Duncan, Best Sound, and Best Screenplay based on a material previously produced or published. So this Frank Derman guy is a pretty good writer, or at least pretty good guy to turn existing work into a movie. He's got the touch. He does. Did you watch this one? It's been a long time, but yes. What do you remember? Not a whole lot, honestly. I want to say it's been since like early 2000s oh wow yeah you know what what i remember about this movie when i when i was watching it i mean besides just how you know how good it is i remember watching it and for like the first 30 40 minutes forgetting that it was a stephen king film because yeah i forgot it was because it, it you know it just goes into that whole like it's a it's a prison movie. Like, what's weird about it? This guy's on, you know, death row. You have asshole uh, co-workers. You know, you have people who abuse power. You have a, a, a good manager who tries to do good. And, you know, so I'm watching the movie. And until the scene where, you know, he, he cures him of his, uh, his, what does he have? He has a urinary tract infection or something. Oh, my God. Something like that, right? Because he had like it, hurt, it burned when he peed or something, or he had like, or, yeah, he, had, yeah, yeah. or he had the drip, right, or the clap or something, something like that, something like that. Um, but then when that happened, and that little, that little, uh, you know, like weird, almost not like horror, right? Because something, something uh, extraordinary happened, supernatural, supernatural, definitely. And then I was like, oh right, this is based on Stephen, because <laughs> up to that point, I was like. I was watching a good movie, and then that happened. I was like, oh, this is about to get weird, isn't it? You know, <laughs> because it was Stephen King. Because Stephen King doesn't write, you know, a nice no. thing. <laughs> There's always something. He's um, not telling mundane stories, that man. No, he's not. No, he's not. But no, I remember this movie, and I think I've seen it in the last 10 years. It's, it, it's fantastic. It's a great film. Um, I, I think it was the first time I paid attention to Michael, Michael Clark Duncan as an actor. Uh, and he does a fantastic job. So no, um, nothing more to say about the Green Mile here. Now, this next film we're going to talk about, this one hurt me a little to do the research on because it's a movie I've praised and I've talked about and I've said it's one of those movies that I constantly go to and I'm like, no, it's a good movie. And I recently saw it a month ago. Still a good movie. Still something I highly recommend. The 13th Warrior came out in 1999. Okay, yeah. Yep, based on Michael Crichton's book. Wait, did we talk? We didn't talk about this movie, right? No, no, no. We haven't talked about this movie. We didn't talk about it. We, it the name came the, up. The, main, the name's come up. It's one of those yeah. movies that like just starts and you fall into it. And that's a movie that can't mm-hmm. be made again because of the whole all, all references to Iraq and Ahmed and the lead actor being, you know, uh, Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, based on Michael Crichton's 1976 novel, Eaters of the Dead. By the way, 
because of watching the movie a month ago and remembering that it's based on a book, I actually ordered the book online because now I want to read it. <laughs> it's a, it, my understanding is that Michael Crichton got his inspiration from uh, Beowulf and from the actual journals of uh, Maud, who who's the main character. So it's a combination of that. So it's, it's based on some sort of history or mythological okay. history. Man, I read Beowulf. Talk about it. There's an interesting read. That is a very interesting read. So so here's the thing, right? I was again doing the research. I was just like, "Oh man, this is this is this is this is not 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 great." And it kind of explains why it didn't take off, you know, like now people have gone back to it because of Vikings and because of Northmen and stuff like that because that's what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. But at the time Production and marketing cost for this movie, dude, reached 160 million for a movie that has no special effects. Okay. Yeah. And no big actors besides Antonio Banderas for 90% of the film. Everyone else is fairly unknown. So it, it really surprised the hell out of me how the budget could have been that much. But is I guess where they went. Uh, but I, I think I think that's what it was. Elaborate sets. The sets were real. Like built, they oh. built everything. So that's I think where the money went, but also marketing because of, because of how they just did not know how to market it. So I think sixty million alone, forty to sixty million went into marketing alone, trying to push oh, the damn. film. It grossed sixty one million, dude. Yeah, making it one of the biggest office bombs in history, and definitely the, the biggest of nineteen ninety nine. Reporting somewhere about a hundred to hundred and twenty nine million in losses. They done Y2K themselves. They they were probably like, wait, Y2K is gonna happen anyway, guys. We just gotta burn this money. <laughs> gotta burn this money. We just gotta keep going. <laughs> I was really surprised by the budget because when I watched that film, it looks like it was filmed in a country where all this stuff already was there, and they just kind of used right. the background. Um, yeah, no, no, it was it was uh, it was nah. <laughs> it was devastating to read that one of the, one of the films that I highly recommend to people to watch is. Is considered a box office flop, and that it was not received well either. George Roger Ebert, I think, gave it like a half star or a half thumb up or something. It was not very good. It's like my thumbs don't even want to get up for this. Look, it was good storytelling to me, and it holds up, but it did not do well. I was very disappointed to read about the third, the Thirteenth Warrior, but it came out in '99, everybody, and I still to this day will tell you, you need to watch this movie. It's a it's, it's a, a good movie. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Now, the other big, big, enormous film that came out in 1999 that everyone and their mothers has probably seen or has felt the impact of this movie coming out, The Sixth Sense comes out in 1999. First of all, I got to ask, have you seen it? I have not. Whoo, Gabe, what? Yeah, I have not. Well, I guess once they, te- once they tell you the, the plot twist, you kind of already saw yeah. the movie, huh? I basically saw the movie. <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you who haven't seen it, written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, it stars Bruce Willis uh, with the amazing kid actor Haley Joel Osment. And it's basically a movie about a child psychologist whose patient uh, thinks he can talk to dead people. Um, I believe we can all agree that this is this established um, M. Night's traits in his movies where he has to have um uh a surprise plot twist twist. ending (laughs) the twist has to exist the twist has to exist 
Um, it was the second highest growing grossing film of 1999, taking in 293 million in the U.S. and 379 million in other markets, with a production budget of approximately 40 million, plus another 25 in marketing, so about 65 million budget. I take it they did not build the sets. They did not build the sets. Uh, nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay. Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. I mean, just a powerhouse of a film. I remember watching it. Oh, you know who it had? It had a young um, Misha Barton, too. I do remember that. And, and I think his mother was played by Tony Collette. Coletti? Tony Collette. I remember watching it, not in the... I want to say I didn't watch it in the theater because I didn't... You know, it was one of those films I didn't believe the hype. And it was a horror films-ish genre, so I, I it was not on, up my alley as far as things I wanted to go out of my way to watch. But I eventually watched it, and it was it was good. Um, I, because of that, I ended up watching three, let me say, four too many M. Night movies. Because after that, he did Signs, I believe, which you were like, okay. And then he did The Village, and you were like, okay. And then I remember the happening, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm out. This is, uh, no, they're running from the wind. This doesn't make any sense. I saw signs out of that. Like, that was the only M. Night that I can remember seeing. And I was like, no, that's not terrible. Like, I get Signs wasn't terrible. Signs wasn't terrible, but I'm telling you. And then I was never fooled again. I was, dude. I was. I went to, to the theater to watch the happening. And I kid you not, and spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, they are running from the wind. Now, the concept of the movie is a really good idea. Basically, the reason why they're running from the wind is because how does the earth communicate with each other, right? How do plants communicate with each other? How do birds and everything communicate with each other? It's because of cross-pollination, right? And that's the theory, right? The theory is that the earth got basically pissed off that it was dying and it went into a defense mechanism the same way that, that a, a flower can pollinate something that makes a, a bird sick or, or, or an animal sick so it doesn't eat it, the earth started creating this pollen that would make humans want to kill themselves in order to reduce the population and reduce the amount of damage that was being done to the earth. So again, the theory in the story sounds great. And even now, as I remember it, I'm like, that sounds like a good story. I might be making up most of it because that's what I thought they were trying to do. But in the movie, you just see Mark Wahlberg running in an open field, and then you see branches moving. So that's how you know that it's getting closer to him. And Mark, you're, what you're telling me is Mark's acting skills aren't enough to carry a scene where he runs through a field from the wind. As Mark Wahlberg would say, what? Huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was. oh, my God. And, and, and it had some good scenes. It had some good suicide scenes. Really well done. But the plot twist at the end, you were like, yeah, no. Because then there, it basically reached a point where the Earth was like, okay, I've killed enough people. We're back to normal now. That was the plot twist. Yeah. It stopped when it wanted to because it, it had already reduced the population enough where it was okay. Can't say, eno can't say enough good things about M. Night's first movie. Yep. <laughs> Although he did do, um, I did enjoy, I did enjoy Unbreakable. I did enjoy Unbreakable. And I did enjoy Split. And I did enjoy um, the last one. Glass? Cla no. Glass. Glass. What was it, Glass? Yeah. So 
basically one story thread of his worked out is what it sounds like that that i will kind of one story thread was worth continuing and the rest of his ideas were all kind of all over the place yeah yeah because i think i know people lady in the water movies yeah yeah specifically to see they're like oh man the next time night and i was just like yeah i don't care yeah but no science i will say was was an entertaining movie was it a mel gibson ride joaquin phoenix yeah 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 yep I, I did like the buildup of showing you the aliens with the foot yeah. with the raw footage. I think that was really well done. I think that was well done. Popular TV shows in 1999: Monday Night Football, Frasier, 60 Minutes, The Practice, and Touched by an Angel. TV shows that ended in '99: Star Trek: Deep Space Nine after seven seasons. I tried after Next Generation. I tried Deep Space Nine. I could not understand what was going on. I didn't really feel for the characters it was a much darker tone uh, later much 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 later i had somebody who was a huge fan explain it to me and they were like oh this was like a, a very big political tv show or or s- satire on an actual thing that was happening and it made sense because of like trade embargoes and things like that in that sense they're like if you look at it with that history point it's a really good show. If you watched it because it was Star Trek, they're like, it doesn't, it's, it wasn't very good. Do you guys like space politics? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the same, the same parts of, uh, of the Phantom Menace Episode where I fell one, asleep. Yep. <laughs> trade embargoes. We heard you guys like trade embargoes. We heard you like space. We heard you like trade embargoes. Well, we've got a show for you. Oh, boy. So, yeah, never a fan. Yourself? Never, never got into it. But I mean, seven years uh, is a pretty decent amount of time for it to be. Yeah, on. that's a long trade embargo. The uh, I think, I, it, was, I was I think it was plural. Generation kid. I think it was plural embargoes. They just kept doing it. Just every time they negotiated one, there was another one. It's like, ah, oh, damn it. Yeah, but no, but like you, definitely, next generation was a, was for me. Yeah, Sir Pat's too was my with my captain. Mm-hmm. Another show that I, I remembered watching uh, doing the research. I don't know if you ever saw this show, but it was a show called Unhappily Ever After. Mm-mm. So what I remember from the show, and then I'll read the synopsis, was it was like um, it was like a marriage with children where they actually divorced. So there was a son who was, you know, a little dimwitted. There was the daughter who was like the sex vixen. Um, there was the wife and the guy who hated his life, hated his work. Uh, and the divorce uh, ended up have, making him like live in the basement because he couldn't afford to live to you know like leave the house. But, ahead of its time. But he had a stuffed animal that he would talk to, uh, a toy rabbit or a toy dog, I remember, and it was voiced by Bobcat Goldwing. So whenever he would go down to the basement, depressed as ever, the, the doll would come alive and talk to him, and he, that was his only friend, basically. <laughs> Jesus. So, so the the show basically was about this guy's schizophrenic, you know, like relationship with his with his stuffed animal that he could talk to that no one else could talk to. Wow. Yeah. It was actually really funny, if I recall. It was a really funny show, and again, very similar to from uh, Married with Children. Incredibly similar to Married with Children. So, what if Married with Children was more depressing? What if they actually divorced? Yeah, and it was more depressing. That's 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 what I remember. Unhappily ever after was it was what ha- what would happen if they actually divorced? If if that's if, gotta be the pitch when they were like, "Hang on a second, guys." What if 
Yeah, like bear with me for a second well, because but, I mean, just, we talked about the talking doll and stuff. And you guys are, you guys are. I feel like I'm losing the room. But I will say though, I mean, the the pitch for Married with Children was probably okay, guys. What about not the Cosbys? <laughs> <laughs> what if we take everything that everybody loves about the Cosbys, but then do the opposite? <laughs> Definitely would be more relatable, right? Am I right? Am he I right? is not a doctor. He is a shoe salesman. His wife does not work. She just stays at home and eats bonbons all day. The kids aren't smart. They don't go to school. Uh, and they don't deal Nobody with... Nobody the... hears a role model, basically. <laughs> Nobody. Saying. Nobody. And they hate their neighbors. <laughs> oh, and they're white. <laughs> uh, yeah, also, let's not forget. Oh, yeah, let's not forget. Because we, can, you know, we can't make the cosmic That would be, be offensive. It would be uh, shows that started in '99. Uh, this one, of course, it's a it's a it's a great show that unfortunately was short lived. Batman Beyond is on in 1999 for three seasons. I remember watching this and I thought it was so well done. It was such a fun show. The the animation was fantastic. The story of like an old Batman who has to give up the suit and a new Batman and with new technology. It was a, it was such a fun fun show. And still is. I've I've rewatched it, and it's still a really good show to watch. Yeah, canceled after three seasons. Here's the funny thing: it had a crossover episode to introduce the uh, Justice League animated series, and it basically launched the animated series, and then had no need for the Batman TV show. <laughs> now they were competing with themselves. Basically, now there was, and this is something people forget, and and maybe rightly so. There was a spinoff. There was a bad guy in the Batman TV show, a robot that got sentient, uh, uh, Zeta. And they actually ended up doing a spinoff TV show called The Zeta Project, where it was in the Batman Beyond world, but without Batman, concentrating on this robot that was learning about, you know, things and like um, solving crimes and stuff. Huh. Also short-lived, less than Batman Beyond. Yeah, well, you'd think that with, without the star power of Batman, a Batman show wouldn't be as good. No. But you know, Batman has done really well in the comic books and in in, in canon and lore. Like people love uh, Batman Beyond. It, it, like the costume is so fucking cool. Yeah, I, I didn't really get to watch the show like contiguously, but I saw bits and pieces, and I always thought that the it was really slick. You know, like it, it appealed as being like a, you know, I mean, Batman had technology, but this was like even more. Yeah. So this was. Technology plus the smarts of Batman teaching a young, you know, uh, almost mm -hmm. like a Robin to him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I remember watching, and it's, a, it's such a great show. Futurama starts in 1999, created by Matt Groening. Literally. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Literally, the show starts in 99. It does, actually. You're right. <laughs> uh, created by Matt Groening, the same man who brought us The Simpsons. This was on for seven seasons and it's been announced that hulu has picked it up for one more season next year yeah well it's just, you've you've made their very cr craggy history sound simple there where they were on how was the initial run oh yeah no they they or? were canceled three times <laughs> yeah they did that they did that dance they did they had those movies made the, yeah they had the movies i mean look the family guy had the same problems right south yep. park had the same problems all the good ones seem to have problems like yeah, that network television seems to want to kill what it's good what is good Moving on to deaths in 1999. Speaking of. Speaking of things that were killed, um, we got some good ones. We got some good ones. Now, this this one, I think, is for both of us. Does a name 
Madeline Gale Kahn ring a bell? Not off the front, no. Okay. American actress, comedian, and singer, uh, known for her comedic roles such as What's Up, Doc, Young Frankenstein, High Anxiety, History of the World Part 1, and her Academy-nominated roles in Paper Moon and Blazing Saddles. So I've definitely seen her. She was in Blazing Saddles. She was the German, the 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 uh, performer that fought, that ends up being supposedly go- going to betray um, the main character, but ends up falling in love with him. In Young Frankenstein, ah, oh, she's so fucking amazing. She's the the girlfriend of uh, or the big, you know, the 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 fiance of of Gene Wilder's character that at uh-huh. the end that at the end ends up being um, the you know the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. She is such a, an amazing actress. She was so funny in every one of those movies. Um just I I when I think of when I think of young of young Frankenstein, Gene Wilder is always at the top of my list, but she right. is she is such an amazing an amazing actress in that film. Uh and overall in 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 history of the world, she's phenomenal. Um in Blazing Saddles, she's so amazing. It, you know, uh, she died very young. She died at, at um, 57 years old. Uh, in mm. a year before she passed, she was uh, diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer and never actually mm. was able to to beat it. But um, she was so so fucking good. And I had a clip, but the clip is more visual than audio. So I was like, it'll make us both laugh, but it won't really yeah. help. It won't really help the audience here to like kind of get how good her comedic timing was. This next one is for me mainly. But I thought he was a very interesting guy that I think that you'll find interesting. Um, does the name Shell Silverstein ring a bell? And it might for you. It does, yeah. It does, right? Okay. American writer, poet, cartoonist, songwriter, and playwright. Silverstein briefly attended university before being drafted into the United States Army. He was a cartoonist. Some of his cartoons were used in, the, in those Playboy sections, you know, the old-fashioned uh, little pinup stuff. Mm-hmm. But as a children's author, um, some of his most acclaimed works included The Giving Tree, which is uh, one of my favorite books of all time, where the sidewalk ends and a light in the attic. This is where it gets really cool. Well, besides his work being translated in like 47 languages and him having sold like more than 20 million copies of his books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As a songwriter, he is the man who wrote Johnny Cash's song, A Boy Named Sue. Oh, damn. Right? The same guy who wrote The Giving Tree and Where the Sidewalk Ends also wrote A Boy Named Sue for Johnny Cash. All right. Received two two Grammy Awards as well as a nomination for a Golden Globe Award uh, and an Academy Award. Uh, One of my favorite things about this man is if you ever look at the back copy of The Giving Tree, they, um, you know how they always would pick the, put the picture of the author? Yeah. It is the most disturbing picture I have ever seen. It's a black and white picture, and he's bald, and he just has a really thick beard, and he looks like he's mad at the camera. And I'm like, why would you put this in the back of a children's book? He looks just so scary. You're pulling it up? Yeah, it's pretty funny. It's a, it's a terrible picture to put in the back of a kid's book, isn't it? That is hilarious. I always, every time I look at my copy of that book, I always look at the back and I'm like, why would you use, and it's such a huge picture too. That's the whole back. That's the whole back. 
Not even like about the author in a small picture. No, it is the entire back of that book. It's just a grimace from him. It is. It is. <laughs> and and like if you see other pictures of him, he smiles a lot. It's a, there's much softer pictures of him. I don't know why they, they chose that, but I love the fact that they did, though. It's such a fantastic picture. That is too much. Oh. Okay, this last gentleman that passed in 1999 is for both of us, Gabe. Obviously, you'll know the name Carlos Hatchcock. A United States Marine Corps sniper with a service record of 93 confirmed kills in Vietnam. At the age of 17, he enlisted into the Marine Corps. His career as a sniper, though, unfortunately ended when um, the vehicle that him and a couple other Marines were in got stuck, got hit by an anti-tank mine. And as he pulled the seven Marines out uh, from the vehicle that was on fire, he ended up with severe burns, like third degree burns to the face, the arms and the legs. And he was never able to go back to uh, full duty. After he recovered, he returned to active duty in the Marines. He started the Marine Corps Sniper School. He then was diagnosed with MS, which unfortunately got progressively worse uh, as he stayed in the Corps. So as his health continued to decline, just short of his 20 years, he was actually forced to retire on uh, disability separation. Which is interesting because he got full disability. Had he retired, he would have gotten less paid for retirement. <laughs> um, womp womp. Unfortunately, because of his career and how he felt about the, about the Marine Corps, um, he did fall into a very deep state of depression because he felt like he had been kicked out, you know, as opposed to mm -hmm. like left. You know, uh, so the depression got pretty bad. His marriage almost uh, almost ended, but it, it went, uh, you know, it was able to be picked back up. He eventually got better and overcame his depression when he picked up the hobby of shark fishing. It's a relaxing, <laughs> easy, you know, day on the beach, you know. I mean, what's the... <laughs> the sun and the waves, the teeth. Yeah, um, but he, he passed on at the age of 56 um, from complications of, uh, of MS. Young, young, right? Yeah. I mean, the stuff he went through, it's not the years, it's the miles. Like, that body was... Yeah, no, I can only... That body was 100. I can only imagine. But yeah, I yeah, did I read his book. Oh, did you? Yeah. Any, any, uh, any additional facts to add about him, about this fucking Just, legend? The thing that stuck with me... There's like two two stories that stuck with me. I I, I want to say it was like his most intense foray when he had to, you know, there was a target he had where it took him days of crawling. Like he got bed sores from being prone Jesus. as he crawled like a couple inches an hour moving through VC territory. He faced down a, a jade cobra because he came face to face with this snake and he couldn't move. Like he couldn't get up and move. Like there's people like patrolling, like, you know, not far from him. So he just basically had to sit there and just watch this thing and hope it didn't decide that he was a problem. He, it took him days to get in position and then he took his shot. He made his shot and he got out. And like, that was just like, uh, just the, an insane human feat, you know? And that's what they talked about. Um, his ability and, and, you know, everything you just described is what he did. But um, his ability to get into that zone of like, this is what I need to do in order to accomplish this. And that's the only way. Yeah, the physical discomfort, the injury, whatever, it didn't matter. He just plowed through it. And then the other thing he did that always stuck with me was that he 
pioneered the use of the M250 cal as a precision weapon because you know you can you can change um, the assembly and make it like semi-automatic. Oh, I didn't know that. So you can make it so when the bolt fires, it doesn't return. And it's not how it normally functions, but he, because of the range on the 50 cal, he was like, I bet I could, I bet I could hit this shot. And he started using the M2 to like hit targets at like, you know, whatever insane, like a mile out or whatever he was doing. And uh, yeah, that's kind of probably why the 50 caliber sniper weapons came to be like the barrette and stuff is he was sitting there going like, you know, uh, we need the, you know, this, there's a reason to have that kind of range and, and power in a precision weapon started Makes shooting sense. people way out. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> he was just like, he's like, I bet I could do that. And he did. <laughs> That's interesting shit. I mean, when you, when you're that good at something down, yeah. um, have a set of skills, <laughs> particular set of skills. Yeah. Uh, so music real quick. Um, we have uh, the debut of Britney Spears. She, you know, dominated 1999 when she came out, you know, Rolling Stone cover and everything. Uh, Christina Aguilera's Genie in a Bottle comes out, which becomes an enormous, enormous hit. And everybody also, heard that song. And, and speaking of songs that everybody heard that year, this song also came out in 1999. <sighs> So I remember my brother played this song. Like he was, I remember he was in the back of the house and he was cleaning his car, and this song was on the radio. And this is '99, so I think I was home for the weekend, you know. Um, yeah. He was like, "Oh, the song's great." And I was, and I listened. I'm like, "What's well, very catchy? Like it's a, it's a very, you know." And then uh, when he told me who it was, like we all grew up knowing who Ricky Martin was because. Mm. In the late 70s, early 80s, there's, there was this group, a Mexican group. Uh, no, not Mexican. It was, um, what country were they from? Mexico, Panama, Puerto Rico, maybe. I think it was Puerto Rico, actually. Um, called Menudo. And Menudo was this, was, this, um, was this boy band where every couple years they would switch up the lineup if the, once the kids started getting too old. So they always kept a young, I know, I know. Um, yeah, you aged out of the boy band. I'm sorry. Yeah, they always kept a a, a, a band full of fresh faced members, you know. So it, when they hit around 14 or 16, they got uh, taken out by by you know 10 or 12 year old kids who could then keep it going for the next four years before then they also got replaced. So Menudo has had um, uh, an alum, quite the alumni of, of uh, different singers uh, throughout the years, but he was in it in the in the late 80s. Uh, I think well, I want to say he was into it until the late 80s and then he was singing alone and then he made his transition to English and this was his first I think English uh, song and it blew everything I mean, I mean I remember this song Britney Spears Christina Aguilera and Mambo number no. five on the radio just back to freaking back um, but you know it's one of those things where we go back to like to Americans he was probably like oh my god like you know discovery to the rest of us, we're like, yeah, it's Menudo, guys. Like, they've been around forever. <laughs> He's too old for them. Basically. But yeah, I remember that song came out. And I remember my brother had, um, I think he had like a 92 
300Z, dude, before they got, uh, before they, they stopped making them, you know? Uh, a T-top, too, because you, you could take off the, you know, little, the, yeah, the yeah. little plates on the top. He had a white one, dude, that was such a fucking cool car. And I remember he was washing it or cleaning it, and he was playing that on the radio. And I was just like, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> It made me love the 300Z, and then when it came back in like the early 2000s, right or mid 2000s, you know, it looked awesome too. Like the the, the 300Z is such a such a cool car, but I remember he had that in the in the late 90s, and it was such a cool car. So I, every time I think of "Leaving La Vida Loca" by Ricky Martin, I always think of my brother and his 300Z. I, and you know, ever since then, I've always wanted a, like a 280 or a 210, a Datsun 210 before it became the Nissan. Um, I, I always thought those cars were cool. Um, and then we'll close it off with um, some celebrity gossip, right? David Beckham, Wed's Spice Girl singer, Victoria Beckham, Posh Spice. I'll make it. Yeah. Uh, turns out they did, Gabe. Turns out they did. <laughs> They're still together, right? Yeah. Some crazy, right? Yeah, I'm pretty. I haven't heard. I mean, you think that would have been news? I think so too. Has to. It would have to be. Yeah, I think they. I think they were. They made it for the long haul. That's pretty uh, impressive. I think so too. Because when you've got hair like David Beckham, you could have anybody you want. And when you can bend it like David Beckham, you can, you can get whatever you want. Also, you can you can bend it like David Beckham. I'm pretty sure, if you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening. Find us at at Pop Culture Hangfire on Instagram. And uh, I think, I think that's it, right? I think there's nothing else to cover. I think we're good. Fantastic. All right, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening.